guest who's back on a special happy holidays edition of the format podcast it's christmas eve and uh i don't know when you guys are going to listen to this but i'm uh, recording this on christmas eve so i um, just want to say out there to all the listeners and viewers and whoever you know um thank you so much for taking the time out of your uh, holiday to uh check me out here on the format podcast and um you know, enjoy it. Take the time, relax with your loved ones, your friends, whoever, really enjoy it. That's what this is about. It's not about opening up presents and all that. I guess it is for little kids, but it's not about opening up presents and all that. It's about, you know, that time with your loved ones and your special people in your life. So really take the time and enjoy that. And just, you know, happy holidays from the format podcast. But before we go ahead and get into this episode, which shouldn't be too long today, uh, just wanted to get on here and knock some things out and uh, give some of my thoughts, as I always do. Um, you know what we have to do. We have to uh, knock out the particulars. So let's get to that, all right? Obviously, you are listening or watching on YouTube, so there's a couple ways you can get to me. If you're watching on YouTube, first and foremost, thank you for checking in. If somebody just sent you the link, you don't know where to find me, go to that YouTube search bar and type in the format podcast will come right up. All right. So uh, look forward to checking it out. And if you are on YouTube watching, please click that subscribe button and then click that notification bell so uh, you can get everything on the channel and you can be notified as soon as new episodes come out. And uh, if you like the show or even if you don't like the show, please don't hesitate to leave a comment. All right. I love interaction. Um, if you want me audio only anywhere you listen to your podcast, I'm available. Google Podcast, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, all those, um, whatever you see there on your screen, we're available there. So go ahead and uh, grab that. Subscribe to the pod if you want the audio only feed. And uh, we're also available on iHeartRadio. So, you know, don't hesitate to check us out. Um, and if you're listening audio only, if you can, on whatever platform you use, please don't hesitate to give us that five star Um Rating definitely helps us to rise in the algorithm. So uh, we're more easy to find and more people can check it out. So let's do that. If you're on social media, check me out on Twitter, Bruce F A Hope at Bruce F A Hope. That's the handle. If you're on Instagram at the format podcast at the format podcast. And if you want to email me directly to talk about the show, tell me about anything I missed. Tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me I'm a genius. Tell me about topics you might want to talk about. Don't hesitate to do that either. You can do it. The format podcast at outlook.com. The format podcast at outlook.com. And of course, if you enjoy the show, don't hesitate to share it. All right. So let's get to it. This uh, special New Year's Eve edition of the format podcast. So you know what you got to do if you want to hear it and watch it. Sit back, relax, and listen up to episode 109 on Christmas Eve 2021 of the format.
episode will be a short one. Not sure how long I expected to run, but uh, like I said in the intro, just want to uh, touch on some things I was thinking about. Going to quickly hit some uh, college football notes and then uh, some NFL, then uh, briefly talk about the NBA before I get out of here and leave you guys to enjoy your holiday weekend with those loved ones and special people in your life. So um, first, uh, like I said, uh, college football, right? So you listen to this show, or even if you don't, and this is your first time, I am not an SEC guy. I've said this ad nauseum. I'm not from this part of the country. Um, I'm not particularly a huge SEC fanboy. And with that, I've kind of pushed back on a lot of the narratives that you hear about uh, the SEC and college football. And I'll get to that in a second. But with that said, I'm also an average college football fan. I've talked to people in the know in college football, and I'm not an idiot, okay? I'm not saying the SEC is not the best conference. I think you'd probably have to be stupid to, to say that, right? Or just not watch. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are certain narratives that do deserve pushback. And there is a blatant SEC bias in the college football media and in the college football playoff governing bodies. And we can see that. Now, with that said, let me say again, I'm not saying the SEC is not the best conference. As a matter of fact, I'm admitting the SEC is the best conference in college football. They have great players. They have great teams. I get it. But what I'm also saying is that it is top heavy, like every conference. And let's Let's be real about that, right? Now, that top might be a little larger than it is in other conferences. For instance, you look at the Big Ten, the uh, the top is probably, you know, Michigan, which is kind of back, back in play as one of the best teams in the conference, maybe Wisconsin, and of course, Ohio State, right? Um, if you think about it, maybe you could put Penn State in there, but Penn State doesn't generally win the big games. But anyway, that's that's the top of their conference. And the Big Ten is generally regarded as, what, the second best conference in college football. Now, when I say the top is larger in the SEC, the SEC's top is probably going to be, uh, of course, Alabama, which holds up the entire conference. And I'll get to that shortly. Alabama, um, Georgia, LSU, and some years Florida, right? And those teams are tremendous. I get it. They pump a lot of dudes into the NFL. They're a pipeline. Now, there's something to be said about that as well, and we'll get to that too. But what really irks me is this narrative that the SEC teams are better just by virtue of being in the SEC, and that doesn't really pan out, right? It doesn't generally pan out <clears throat> in bowl games. Now, I know what you're going to say. The SEC wins all the championships. I get it. But since uh, really, how many championships does Nick Saban have? He's got seven, right? So, of course, Urban Meyer got his two at Florida. You saw Les Miles get one with LSU. And then, of course, Orgeron got one a couple of years ago with LSU and Joe Burrow and that fireworks show, which might be regarded as one of the best and most talent-laden teams in college football history. I get it. I get it. I get it. But then you talk about teams like Georgia, which people regard as what? You know, a top-tier team in college football. I don't agree with that. And so let, let, let me real quick jump on why I don't agree with Georgia being a quote unquote top tier team in college football. They have top tier talent. OK, Kirby Smart's a tremendous recruiter. They play great defense, so on and so forth. I get it. But we saw last week after all year long when everyone with two weeks ago, after all year long, when everyone was talking about Georgia being generationally great defensively. And this is the year that they get past Alabama, so on and so forth. Right. What, what did we see? We saw when they played against Alabama in the SEC title game and got it handed to them that what? 
when Georgia plays a team with comparable athletes and comparable coaching, they lose. They lose. This is just amazing to me, right? So, you know, I'm a Notre Dame fan. So I'm going to make this example. And I'm pretty sure I brought this up on the show before. People get on Notre Dame because they get to the big games, i.e. the college football playoff. And I think they haven't won a major bowl game in like 30 years. Probably since, I want to say, 1992 Sugar Bowl, where they beat Florida, coincidentally, an SEC team and the old ball coach. But this is not a story about that. The point is, people get on Notre Dame because they haven't won these big games. Fair enough. They haven't been good enough. Yes, I, a Notre Dame fan, am saying that. They have not been good enough. I get it. Um, They go into the college football playoff. They get smacked around. I get it. They haven't been good enough on those big stages. No question here. No argument. Now, with that said, they haven't won a national championship since 1988. So their days are gone and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine. Georgia hasn't won a national championship since 1980. Herschel Walker was suiting up for Georgia the last time they won a national championship. Now the guy's 50 plus years old running for state Senate in Georgia. So I, I don't understand how the hypocrisy keeps coming into play. But what is that? That's indicative of the college football media and indicative of the pro SEC stance that many people hold and and the bias, right? Georgia is so great. They're so elite. They're a top tier team. No, they're not. They're at the top of tier two, Notre Dame, just below them. Fair enough. Okay. So with, with all that said, now you have the whole, the SEC sends more guys to the NFL. Every year you see the SEC in the NFL draft breaking its own record for guys drafted in the first round, guys drafted overall. I totally get it. Got a lot of studs down here. I live in Jacksonville, Florida, so I know there's a lot of studs down here. High school, college football is life in this region of the country. I totally get it. No argument. However, let's use our heads a little bit. If we go ahead and look at the the uh, all pros, right, at positions in the NFL, or if we go ahead and look at the top five at every position as per pro football focus, the SEC doesn't really dominate. They're very high on that list in running backs. They're very high on that list in defensive backs. I get it. But most of the positions are pretty much spread out around the rest of the college football world in terms of where the players in the top five at their positions went to college. So there is some group think there among NFL executives. So again, let me point to Notre Dame, right? Widely considered as not having as good players as those major SEC programs, your Georgias, your Alabamas, your uh, Floridas, your LSUs. Correct. Again, I'm admitting it. Notre Dame, on the whole, does not have the amount of dominant players, right? They are recruiting well. They've got a ton of four stars. But when it comes to those five stars, Notre Dame might have one or two. Those SEC programs I just named might have 8, 10, 15 in the case of Bama, Georgia, uh, maybe LSU. Okay. So with that said, if you look at last year's NFL draft, let's talk about how many guys Georgia got drafted. Georgia, talent factory, outstanding program. Georgia sent nine guys to the NFL. They got nine guys drafted. That's incredible for any one school. Guess how many Notre Dame sent? The team that isn't good enough. I've admitted this, the team that doesn't have the same level of talent. Oh, wow. They tied Georgia for the second most players getting drafted with nine. Go figure. See, this is what I talk about when I talk about the narratives, right? Why let facts get in the way of a good story? The narrative, it doesn't fit. So this is what I talk about when I talk about the, the SEC group think among NFL execs and decision makers. This is what I talk about the SEC bias in terms of 
the uh, college football media and, and the pro SEC slant that we often hear. Okay, cool. So I've given you some information there. I've talked about uh, the, the majority of, oh, that's the other thing, right? The majority of those draft picks who come out of the SEC, of course, all the teams send guys. There's no question about that. But the majority, like most conferences, comes from two or three, maybe four schools. And it's Bama, Georgia, LSU, and Florida. Those are the majority. So we talk about the whole conference when the majority come from, what, one-third of the conference? So, I mean, I don't know why it's so hard to be objective and just use common sense and reason when we're looking at this. No one is trying to say the SEC isn't great. But if you're going to argue that it's not Bama holding up the conference, <laughs> wrong. If you're going to argue that the SEC makes uh, produces all the best players, <laughs> wrong. Right. I'm giving you the information here. If you look at the Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, they pump out a lot of players, too. Those are also NFL blue bloods in terms of sending guys to the league. Now, it might not be to quite to the same extent as those four I named from the SEC. But could that, again, be the fact that, you know, Alabama is winning all these championships and there's a huge spotlight on that conference? Could be. That has something to do with it. Now, let's take it to on the field. The Armed Forces Bowl was a couple of nights ago. Mizzou, an SEC Southeastern Conference team, played Army, a service academy team, a team that rarely runs and is, uh, I think, the uh, number one rushing team, number one or number three. They're a top three rushing team in the country, as they always are. They run the triple option, very difficult to defend. They played Mizzou. Mizzou had the SEC's leading rusher this year. He didn't play. I think uh, one of Mizzou's, one or two of Mizzou's um, uh, dominant defensive linemen didn't play. They had a number of players out of the game. That's fine. So where am I going with this? Mizzou lost to Army in the Armed Forces Bowl. Now, me being an Army veteran, of course, I'm happy with that. <laughs> I say who. So that always makes me feel good to see Army win. But that's not my point here. My point here is the SEC narrative is they have all the best players. The SEC narrative is the worst team in the SEC, according to these people, is better than the best team from anywhere else, right? This is what you hear. This is the type of nonsense that you hear. But Mizzou got beat by Army, a service academy, a very good one, mind you, the best of the three, but they got beat by Army in the Armed Forces Bowl. Why am I bringing this up? Because the narrative is that the SEC has such good players and the teams in the conference have such good depth that their second or third string should be good enough to beat anyone else's first string. That's the type of nonsense that you hear. For instance, let's take it back one season. Last year in the, uh, we're going to say the COVID year, right? But regardless, um, we saw Oklahoma play against Florida in the, I want to say it was the Cotton Bowl. And before the game, Florida, I can't remember who the player was, but one of Florida's players said, Oklahoma is a good team, but let's be real. They're not SEC. Okay. So they got stomped out by Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. I bring this up to say this belief that because the team is in the SEC automatically makes them better is ridiculous. But now what do we hear from the SEC apologists? We hear, well, Florida didn't have a bunch of their players playing. Former Florida head coach Dan Mullen said, well, we basically sent our JV team out there. But from the way you're talking, the way the college football media talks, right? The way uh, so many SEC fans talk, the way Florida's own player talk, 
it shouldn't matter who's out there. You're in the SEC. That automatically makes you better. See, this is what I'm saying. You can't have it both ways. You can't say the SEC is better. Got all the better players. The teams are deeper. The teams are more loaded. The teams are tougher because they go through a tougher gauntlet during the season. That may be true. Um, so on and so forth, right? But then when it comes to it and they lose, there's always an excuse. Tell me if you've heard this one before. Uh, well, insert SEC Team X. Team X didn't want to be there, so that's why they lost. Oh, really? They didn't really want to be there. Tell me if you've heard this one before. SEC Team X had a bunch of players missing. That's why they lost. It can't be that you have the better team, you have the better players, you have more depth, so on and so forth. But whenever you lose, there's an excuse as to why you lost. Not a reason, not a schematic reason, X's and O's, an excuse. This is what we get from the pro SEC media. This is what we get from the SEC apologists, the SEC hypocrite fans. This is what we get. And this is real. This is not me hating on the SEC. I'm sure it sounds that way. But if anyone can tell me something that I'm saying here that's not true, go ahead, leave it in the comments section. Hit me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. Um, you know, let me know because uh, I haven't said anything here that's untrue. Now, second one, the second SEC bowl matchup of this bowl season, Florida lost to UCF. UCF has been trying to get their hands on Florida for years, pretty much since the 2017 undefeated season, where coincidentally, at the end of that season, UCF beat Auburn, another SEC school. Wow, go look at that. In the Peach Bowl, this is the same Auburn that beat Alabama and Georgia in back-to-back -back weeks during the regular season. But when people talk about it, they say, uh, well, you know, uh, Auburn didn't really want to be there, and Auburn didn't have this player and that player suited up. Again, you see how there's always the excuse when an SEC team loses to a non-SEC program. But I digress. Quick side note, um, speaking of digression, uh, I've heard it said that this year's Cincinnati team is the best group of five uh, team ever. I beg to differ. I think the best group of five team was that 2017 Cincinnati team. And I think they probably could have matched up with anybody. I'd love to see him play this year's Cincinnati team. That would have been that would have been a a real highlight show, great defense versus a, a fireworks offense. That would have been good. Anyway, um, back to it. So, you know, it's just amazing to me that there's always an excuse when we talk about the SEC and just at the end of the day, you can't have it both ways. All right, enough college football talk. Let's hit the NFL. Um, the Pro Bowlers were announced earlier this week. So that lends me to the question, why are pro bowlers in the NFL announced before the season ends if the game is a postseason event? I really don't understand that. The game is held, I think, the week uh, before the Super Bowl. So that means it's a, a postseason event. So why would you be choosing the pro bowl players before the season even ends? Because it's supposed to be an award for an outstanding regular season. I really don't get that. Is it to drum up more interest in the Pro Bowl, which is generally regarded as the worst all-star game in American professional sports? Is it to give time for possible alternates to be selected if guys opt out? Because we know a lot of guys do opt out from the Pro Bowl. I, I don't know. And also, why is it generally regarded as the worst all-star game in American pro sports? You know the NFL has done everything they can do to try and make the Pro Bowl better, make it more interesting, make it more fan-friendly. They've done all they can do. But for some reason, they just can't get it right. Very interesting. Um, I remember when I was a kid in the 80s. I know I'm dating myself. But I remember when I was a kid in the 80s, we actually watched the Pro Bowl. And it was a thing. And it was exciting. And it was a good game, good competitive game. Um 
I, I just, I don't know why, you know, it's gone the way it's gone. But with that said, the crazy thing is the Pro Bowl still gets ratings and it just proves that the NFL is king. I think the Pro Bowl had like 15 million viewers last year, which is crazy because it's just a lousy game. It's like NFL players doing glorified flag football. I don't, I don't understand it. Okay. Next NFL note. The MVP race is heading into the home stretch, if not already in the home stretch. According to VegasOdds.com, and no, I'm not a gambler, but I just looked this up. Aaron Rodgers leads the way with plus 125 odds. Tom Brady right behind him at plus 180. My guy, as Shannon Sharp says of Undisputed, my guy, my guy, Jonathan Taylor. He has plus 800 odds. He's in third place. And uh, Rams quarterback Matt Stafford is at plus 900. So why do I bring this up? Because the NFL MVP award is maybe one of the hardest to win in pro sports. Probably say that just because of the nature of the NFL getting through the season, not getting hurt, being able to produce in a sports where in a sport where guys literally can't hurt you, the physicality of the game, uh, the difficulty of the game, all those things. Okay. So my problem is the most valuable player. Why has it degenerated into basically a QB award? I get it. The quarterback touches the ball on every offensive play. The quarterback is extremely important. The most important position in pro sports. We say it ad nauseum. I get all that, but (sighs) I think for me, the problem is, and I've talked about this on the NBA front, we got to find some way to define what most valuable means. To me, it's if you take this guy off the team, what can they do? And and I totally get it. You take Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Matt Stafford. Well, not Matt Stafford, because we saw Jared Goff help to take the LA Rams to the Super Bowl. I get it. But Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, you take them off of their respective teams and watch those teams crumble. I totally get it. So that speaks to their value for me. And maybe I'm biased because I came up in an era where the running back position was a glamour position. Um, I think what Jonathan Taylor is doing is absolutely incredible. I'm also biased because I always talk about, you know, being able to run the football and we'll, we'll get back to that in a second is still, despite what people want to tell you and make you believe such a super important element of having success in the game of football at any level, whether it's high school, college or pro, if you can't run it, it's, it's really hard to win at a high level. So with that said, it's so amazing to me that, you almost have to break a record as, you know, another position to win the MVP award. So I'm looking at what Jonathan Taylor is doing. The guy is having a monster year. And also, if you watch the show, you also know I am a bit of an I told you so guy. So I'm going to do it here. I told you so before Jonathan Taylor came out in the draft, he was the best running back in the draft. And before long, he would be up there with the top running backs in the league. Now, we're looking at a guy in his second year who's on pace for 1,843 yards, 20 touchdowns. He should be first team all pro. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a big part of that is because the first team all pro not, of course, is because Derrick Henry is injured and won't be back this season. Derrick Henry is an absolute monster. But if you remember when uh, the draft was happening last year, I said that what I would have done because Derrick Henry at that point was in I'm not going to say a contract dispute, but it was looking for a new contract from uh, the Tennessee Titans. What I would have done was I would have franchised Derrick Henry. I would have drafted Jonathan Taylor, who thrives in a pro style run system. And I would have let uh, Derrick Henry go after that year, which would have been last year. 
and I would have stuck Jonathan Taylor right in there and he would have continued to do what he's been doing. Meanwhile, Jonathan Taylor came into the league. His development was slowed by Phillip Rivers. We saw Phillip Rivers do the exact same thing to Melvin Gordon III when uh, they were both in San Diego with the Chargers. That's San Diego Chargers before they moved to L.A. But the point is, he wasn't able to get going right away. Now you look at Jonathan Taylor, and he finished last year strong. I think he had almost 1,200 rushing yards, 11 and change. But you look at him this year, and he's looking like the Jonathan Taylor that we saw at Wisconsin. He is killing right so again he's on pace for 1843 yards 20 touchdowns so that's that would have been my strategy if i were the tennessee titans i would have been able to save some money and not really had a huge drop off in terms of what i'm getting at the running back position for production and i would have been able to continue to play how i was playing with derrick henry anyway um so yeah that's my thing if it's me and again, I totally get the importance of the quarterback. I totally get Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and what happens to their teams if you take them off of those teams. We've already seen it with Aaron Rodgers when he was out for uh, COVID. Well, he was out earlier for violating the uh, COVID policy by not being vaccinated. Uh, we saw that. But if it's me and I have a vote for MVP, it's Jonathan Taylor. Because what Jonathan Taylor is doing is putting the Colts in a position to really make a run in the playoffs. All right. So that's me. Um, what do we love about the NFL? For me, I love parody, right? Uh, if you look at college football, we know for the most part, it's going to be the usual cast of characters every year until, of course, they figure out how to expand the playoffs from 4 to 12, which they will do because there's just too much money in not doing it. So they'll figure it out. Um, quick note, and I don't want to take this back to college real quick, but what I do want to do, if they expand it to 12, they need to put a cap on how many teams from East Conference because, of course, they're just going to try to make it an SEC Invitational, which would really annoy me. And the rest of the country, because the rest of the country loves college football too. Anyway, back to your regularly scheduled programming. We were discussing the NFL. Um, we love parity because every year you have no idea how everything's going to shake out. You have favorites and you pick people. And a big part of that is the physicality of the game of football and how much of a, uh, how much of a role injuries play and in, in what teams can do. I get it. Um, but we almost never get what we expect from teams in terms of playoffs and, and how the season will unfold from year to year. And it's what makes the league so compelling. And at the end of the day, I'll say it again, NFL is king. Let's look at the two conferences. The AFC is a total crapshoot. Nobody expected the Patriots to be back, right? And they're in position to probably have a top two or three seed in the conference come playoffs. And nobody wants to go into Foxborough in the playoffs and deal with Bill Belichick and that team. Nobody. And uh, it looks like Mac Jones is just a perfect fit for what they want to do. Of course, he's not Tom Brady, but they've got him playing uh, very similar to the way that Tom Brady played earlier in his career. And if you compare, although it was two different eras of NFL football, um, Mac Jones is playing a lot like Brady did, and he's putting up better numbers. Again, two different eras of NFL football. But if you want to make the comparison for the sake of Mac Jones being quarterback and Tom Brady being quarterback under Bill Belichick, very interesting. Um, okay, so the Patriots are back. The Dolphins are on a seven-game win streak. Everybody doubted Tua Tagovailoa, but he's really playing well right now, and the Dolphins are doing their thing. Brian Flores, just a really good coach, really good coach. We'll see what they can do. We'll see if they get into the playoffs. Um, AFC North is up for grabs. Everybody thought that uh, the Baltimore Ravens would uh, probably run away with this conference, uh, this division, 
Um, and if they had competition, it would be from a loaded Cleveland Brown squad. Neither team is playing up to what we expected going into, into the year. Lamar Jackson, let's be real, he has regressed in the way he's played. He's had some illness that's kept him out of a couple games. Uh, uh, Tyrone Huntley, his backup, has been doing an admiral job as a backup. So can't complain about that at all. But overall, Baltimore just... They haven't been playing up to the level that we saw the last couple of years. Okay. Um, the Chiefs, the Chiefs got started slowly. People were beginning to kick dirt on their graves, but they did that undertaker thing, sat up and started kicking butt and taking names again. So you've got to be afraid of the Chiefs again. Um, they started slow. Now they're rolling. No clue what's going to happen with them. Um, again, I think a big part of that is how the seeds shake out, who gets that home court. Arrowhead is also a tough place to play in the playoffs. It's cold. It's super loud. We'll find out. Um, I discussed the Colts earlier, and I love the way they're playing now. They are an absolute matchup nightmare, right? And how are the Colts a matchup nightmare? They are so physical at the point of attack. They have arguably the best offensive lineman in the game in Quentin Nelson, an absolute road grader. And uh, they're really playing well. Obviously, I mentioned Jonathan Taylor, how well they're running the football. They're putting Carson Wentz in a situation where he doesn't have to win games. He just doesn't have to lose them. Eventually, he's going to have to win a game at some point. But as of right now, he just uh, he doesn't have to lose the games. So that's fine. Um, but they're just nobody's going to want to play them, guys, whether or not you got to go to Indianapolis or they got to go play in the cold and the wind. And why is that? Why are they so difficult? Why does no one want to play them? Because they're physical. And what does that mean? How are they doing what they're doing? Uh-oh, you know where this is headed. Run the ball, stop the run. Stop the run, run the ball. Say it with me one more time. Stop the run, run the ball. It doesn't change. That is a tried and true time-tested formula for success when it comes to playing football. Okay. The NFC, that picture is a little more clear, but still not sure how it'll end up. Uh, Green Bay looks like the favorite, and Lambeau is also not a place you want to go play in the playoffs. Again, cold, snow, windy. You know, Aaron Rodgers, one of the best cold-weather quarterbacks ever. Obviously, Tom Brady, the greatest cold-weather quarterback ever. Um, but uh, Green Bay does look like they're going to get the number one seed. But does that really matter? Because the GOAT went in there and beat him at home in the playoffs last year. So there's that. Um, the Cardinals started hot. Not so much now. They're fading down the stretch. Not sure what it is with Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know if it's his coaching or it's a combination of uh, Kyler Murray's had injuries. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, they're all worldwide receiver. He's out and won't be back this year until possibly the NFC Championship game if the Cardinals make it that far. Um, and that's their best weapon. He's got a torn MCL. Um and again, possibly he'll be back for the NFC Championship game. This this is just going to be interesting. Got to sit back and watch the Cowboys. Clearly, they're going to win their division because the uh, NFC East, least, whatever you want to call it, is just bad. So um, not a clue what's going to happen in the NFL. Parody, got to love it. Hope Jonathan Taylor wins the MVP. He won't. He's a monster. Give him his due. First team all NFL. I'll take that. All right. NBA, before we get out of here, I got a question for you. Who's got it better than LeBron? Seriously, who's got it better than LeBron? He's got four championships, which he got four MVPs. Um, he's en route to possibly becoming the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. 
He's he may be ending up like the first player to have 40,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists. He's got all the statistical accolades in his career. He's got all the awards. He's got titles. Who's got it better than Braun? The Lakers are bad. The Lakers are bad. The Lakers are old. The Lakers are old. The Lakers can't defend on the perimeter. They can't defend on the perimeter. Anthony Davis is hurt. Again, he is what he is and what he's always been. A couple of years ago in the bubble, he showed a quick flash of what people believed that he could be and always wanted him to be. He's not going to be that. He's just not built for it. And the reason why he was able to do that a couple of years ago is simply because of the fact that with the bubble, both him and LeBron had four months off to rest their bodies. So they came back in in great position to stay healthy for that stretch run. Okay. COVID. Thank you, COVID, right? That's what they're saying. Anyway, um, why is Anthony Davis always hurt? Because Anthony Davis is 6'11". He's a big. I mean, realistically, his skill set is that of a small, tall, small forward. But he's he's a big. In any other era, he'd be a big. And he's trying to play like a guard. Because, you know, in high school, he was a point guard. Then he had a crazy growth spurt. So he's got guard skills. But his body is guard-sized anymore. And he's trying to move that way. And it's stressing his joints in ways that they should not be stressed from a guy that size. And that's causing all these injuries. Okay, here's an analogy. David Robinson, the Admiral, one of the all-time great, probably top 10 big men in NBA history. Now, this is a guy who started college at the Naval Academy as a 6'3 point guard, had a freak growth spurt, ended up being 7'1". Why are the same injuries not befalling him during his career that are befalling Anthony Davis? Because although David Robinson had guard skills from being one, he learned how to play like a big and that, believe it or not, helped his body to last longer and not break down because he was not stressing his joints in ways that they're not supposed to be stressed at that size. Anthony Davis can't figure that out, nor can the modern NBA. That's why you see all these bigs having all these injuries. OK, now back to uh, the Lakers. Russell Westbrook isn't helping the Lakers to be any better. Gee, who didn't see that coming? I know I said that that wasn't going to work. See, here's my I told you so side again. I know I said that that wasn't going to be a good fit. I know I said all that. Okay. LeBron James put this team together. We're not going to blame anyone else because we know that he's the guy who pulls the strings. He's the puppet master. He says, I want this guy. I want that guy. Nobody's going to tell LeBron no. They're not going to rein him in. They're not going to try to check his power, right? They're not going to do that. Because he holds the power. He can get coaches fired. He, he can make a lot of moves. And let's be real. He is the puppet master. He lines them up because he has to have guys that he believes will help him win and can take the blame if he loses and guys that he can manipulate in how they play. The problem is he can't manipulate how Russell Westbrook plays because Russell Westbrook can only play one way. So I knew this wasn't going to fit. I knew this wasn't going to help. I mean, for a guy whose basketball acumen is so lauded, what did he see in Russell Westbrook that he believed would increase his chances of winning a championship? I'll wait. Okay. So we knew this wasn't going to work. At least I did. Anyway, here's the thing about LeBron. This is why I asked at the beginning of this segment, who's got it better than LeBron? He always somehow has an excuse. Let's look at it this year. Age. He's in year 19. What are we supposed to do with that? He's in year 19. We've never seen a player play at this high level this late into his career. And what do you expect? Father time is undefeated. Okay. He's had injuries this year. 
we see that. Okay. But if things somehow go well, guess what's going to happen? He's going to get all the credit. We know that, right? The other guys, as always, Anthony Davis, I'm sure if you pay any attention to the NBA, the NBA media, the Lakers media, the uh, talking heads and myself among them, right? Anthony Davis takes a lot of the uh, he takes a lot of the fire for being hurt and not being able to be what he was expected to be. I didn't expect him to be this with the Lakers, but he's he's taking it now. Right. Um, We see, obviously, I just mentioned Russell Westbrook not fitting. He's going to take the fire. Right. Okay, so these guys are in perfect position to be scapegoats, even though LeBron is the guy who wanted him here, traded away a very good and young nucleus to bring those guys here. Now, in his defense, he got a championship out of it. Wouldn't have got it if not for the bubble, but that's a different story. Anyway, he got a championship out of it, so he gets the credit for that. He got a finals MVP, and of course, he gets the credit for, you know, the machinations that brought Anthony Davis to the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, now, somehow, we can also admit the Lakers are still in sixth place in the West. I don't know if that speaks to the or if it speaks to the Lakers not quite being as bad as we think. I think they're pretty bad, but I'm not sure. So we will see. And what do you want to bet that if the Lakers make the playoffs and even if they win a series, right? Well, not if they win a series, but if they make the playoffs, you're going to see LeBron getting some MVP votes for the quote-unquote miraculous job that he will have done just for dragging this team to the playoffs. I guarantee it. You will see it happen. Meanwhile, the usual cast of characters in the NBA just keeps on moving, doing what they do. In the West, you see Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns being the first seed, uh, like half a game back, half a game ahead of the Golden State Warriors. And the Golden State Warriors don't even have Klay Thompson back. So we'll see what kind of impact he can make when he returns. And James Weissman. In the East, you got the Brooklyn Nets. I think they're 21 and 9, and they don't even have their full complement. Um, and you got defending champion Milwaukee, I think in the third seed, you know, they haven't quite rounded into form yet, but Giannis is doing his thing. They're, they're not bad. They're just not great. And Chicago, surprisingly, with their, all their moves in the offseason, um, them having uh, Zach Levine, um, uh, Lonzo Ball, and DeMar DeRozan, all three of those guys playing really well. They're in the number two seed right now. I don't know what they could do if and when they get into the playoffs. I'm sure they'll get into the playoffs. I don't know how successful they could be or what type of run they can make but they're an exciting watch right now. Really good team. They're playing surprisingly well. Okay. So that's it for this holiday edition of the format podcast. If you like the show, please, again, don't forget to uh, click the subscribe button in the lower right corner of your screen and uh, click that bell. So you can be notified um, when new episodes come out and uh, yeah, that's just about it. So guys, listen again, go enjoy the holidays with your loved ones, your friends, your family, just have a good one, be safe and uh, see you next week. Peace.